We move yet another week closer to Christmas, and the excitement builds. Tis the season to give good gifts and hopefully get some. Tis the season to eat, drink, and be merry. Tis the season to be full and not hungry. We work really hard as the weeks build, as we get closer to Christmas. We work really hard to emphasize the feel-good aspects of the season. But sometimes we can work so hard to get the feel-good aspects that we forget the reason that we can feel good at this time of year and in every day of our lives. Sometimes, if you will, we can get so used to the lights of Christmas that we forget about the darkness. And thankfully, in moments like this in the church, as the community of faith, we have, a, we have prophets like Isaiah to reorient us. From Isaiah chapter 9, I'll be starting with verse 2. Let's hear the word of the Lord. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The people walking in darkness. This is more than an allusion to nighttime by Isaiah. The word that he uses here for darkness is the same word that we touched upon briefly last week. The same word in Genesis chapter 1. It's the same word used to describe the chaos, the nothingness out of which creation began. And from Genesis to Isaiah, there's a lot of time that's marked. From the rebellion of our first ancestors, with the separation, as we discussed last week, of heaven and earth, the chaos of life apart from God continued to grow. And it continues to threaten life as we know it. Hundreds of generations later, a people intended to be a light to the other nations. Israel is on the verge of being consumed by the darkness. Torn apart from within, once united, a divided kingdom looks to be engulfed by forces from the outside. The darkness of the chaos of the empire of Assyria stands at the Jewish gate. And the Babylonians will come next, carrying the people off in chains into exile. Israel looks to be on the verge of losing everything. It couldn't be much darker. And that may seem distant for us. History, something to remember, and times certainly have changed since Isaiah's day, but Isaiah's words are relevant for us because we are still a people walking in darkness. 
We are still, as Isaiah describes it, a people stumbling in the valley of the shadow of death, in the separation of heaven and earth. All the tinsel, all the garland in the world can't shut out the brokenness, the sorrow, and the pain that characterizes so much of our world today. You want to just kind of close your ears and close your eyes and put your head down as you turn on the news, you open a paper, you go online, and nation after nation declares bankruptcy. And as we more and more are experiencing an increasingly depressed global, not just national, but global economy, we, we witness the continued failure of our leaders alongside the growing frustration of those who insist on occupying various cities. Every day seems to bring another report of local violence, regional conflict, or the ongoing war on the other side of the world. It's dark out there. And the darkness can get personal too, especially during this time of year. Maybe it's another cut in our hours at work. Many of us are experiencing that at a time when we need more hours. Maybe it's the loss of our job altogether. Maybe it's facing the foreclosure of our home. Maybe it's the severing of a relationship or the end of a relationship due to addiction, an addiction that just continues to hang on within our lives, within our family. Maybe it's divorce. Maybe it's just bad blood. Bad blood between siblings, bad blood between relatives. Maybe it's that empty chair at the table. Our continued grieving at the loss of a loved one that's the source of our darkness, our sadness, and our sorrow. Maybe, maybe it's the deep, deep darkness of the loneliness in our lives. That feeling of isolation, that feeling of disconnectedness that only becomes more acute as the holidays approach. There is darkness in our world, beloved. There is darkness in our world and darkness in our lives that we dare not deny. For we all have it. We all have this darkness within. The despair, the doubt that come to the surface when we realize, when we step back and realize that there is still a huge gap between things on earth and things in heaven. For all the progress that's been made, for all the good that's been done, if we're honest, if we're honest this year, there are still gifts of Christmas for which we are waiting. The wars have not ceased. Hunger still touches millions. Cancer and disease still claim their victims. Families still fracture. Sin still takes its prisoners. Our hearts still break. Death lingers still at our door. So much, so much remains undone. So much remains unhealed. We are all still walking in a world of darkness, a world that is beyond our control. We need to hear these words even though we don't like them because the irony is when we realize that we are walking in a world that we can't control, the irony is, as nonsensical as it sounds, when we realize our lack of control, our default mode is only to try to take more control. We work harder and longer. We plan and prepare more. We tell ourselves if it's all going to work out, we've got to make it happen. And this temptation to take matters into our own hands 
is before us every day of our lives, but it is most on display in the month of December. More decorations, more lights, more Christmas cards sent out and received, more gifts purchased and wrapped, more parties, more pageants, more singing. And with all the planning and preparation that we do, all the planning and preparation that consumes us during this time of year, it starts to get easy to believe. In fact, some of us don't just believe it, we're convinced this is it, that the message of Christmas is about taking holiday cheer into our own hands. We've got to make Christmas happen. But when we do this, when we take control, when we take control and try to make life, when we try to make Christmas happen, all we do, my brothers and sisters in Christ, all we do is increase the darkness in our own lives, the darkness in our own world. When we try to take control, when we try to make it happen, we bring the darkness. Life gets harder, not easier. Things get bigger, but not better. Expectations drive us to perform rather than free us to enjoy. The pressure and the stress, they just build, especially this month, until we finally just burn out. Our joy gets swallowed up by the darkness. In a world that is beyond our control, some of us here today are walking in the darkness of that kind of despair. But others of us, others of us live in the darkness of complacency. Faced with the uncertainty of the future, we chose a long time ago to simply live in the past. And December, again, is a great time when we can relive the past. We can become so used to the way things are. We can become so used to the way things are that we can forget, or worse, ignore, that this is not ultimately how things are supposed to be. We settle. We believe that we are beyond change. We're too old. We've seen too much. We passively accept the realities in front of us. All the corruption, all the scandal, all the war, all the poverty, all the broken relationships, all the loss. We passively accept it as just the way things are. And if that speaks to where you are, you know what I'm talking about. Every day, if, you're that, if that's your orientation, you're living with your head in the sand and your heart in the past. December is just prime time for that kind of complacency. We become so nostalgic in December for the Christmas of the past that we try to recreate it every year in the Christmas of the present. We take the reason for the season for granted, and really, this is another way of just taking control, of taking matters into our own hands. Because what's missing, what's shrouded by the darkness of our complacency, is any vision of the Christmas yet to come. What we do, unintentionally, is we replace the great drama of our faith with a Christmas that's more familiar. With a Christmas that we can make happen the same way every year. Boy, it's a familiar story. If we really were to talk about it, it's the tried and true formula of a commercial Christmas. But it's not a biblical one. Beloved, Isaiah and the whole of Scripture says to us over and over again, at this time of year, but every day of our lives, we don't make Christmas happen. We cannot make it happen. 
Because we're living in a world full of darkness, a world that is beyond our control. We don't like to hear this. We don't like to hear that we're not in control, especially at Christmas time, because that's not very merry. But according to Isaiah, according to Isaiah, this is the context of the Christmas story. This is what makes the Christmas story happen, our need, our helplessness. We don't make Christmas happen. Christmas happens. Heaven comes down to us. Beloved, only hungry people have the room to hope for the coming of heaven into this world. I said it last week, and I'll say it again in case you missed it. There's no need for Christmas for those who are self-sufficient. There's no need for Christmas for those who are self-sufficient. But on the other hand, those who recognize the darkness in their lives, those who are willing to face the darkness in this world are prepared, are ready to see the light that seeks them out. Isaiah's declaration is this, on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Beloved, are you looking for the light? Are you looking for the light or are you too busy, too content with making your own light? The light that's on the horizon, Isaiah tells us, is the coming of hope. The hope that Isaiah points to is the knowledge that God still has an unfinished future with his people, the Israelites. Their hope is our hope too. Our hope rests in this God whose future with us is still unfinished. This is not our Christmas wish. This is our Christmas hope. And there's a huge difference. There's a difference between wishing and hoping. Wishing wishing is about what we want. We wish things to go a certain way. Wishing is about exercising our will on someone else to grant our wish. And if they don't, if our wish doesn't come true, it was all just wishful thinking, right? But hope is different. The Bible doesn't talk about wishing. Interesting, isn't it? The Bible doesn't talk about wishing. The Bible talks about hoping. Hope depends not on what we want. Hope depends on what God wants, what God promises. The reason for our hope is not contingent on our will, but on God's will. And therefore, our hope is more than wishful thinking because God keeps his promises. Whatever God wills happens. It's just a question of when. It's just a question of his timing. Beloved, Isaiah is reminding us not to wish, but to hope. At Advent, we need to look into the manger, yes. But then we need to look through it to see the God who in Jesus is still coming on the horizon. What we have in this one who was born in humility, what we have in this one who worked in obscurity, what we have in this one who died as a criminal, what we have in this one who rose from the dead is the down payment of a glory that is yet to come. And that is why it is our practice in the church when we speak of the Jesus of Christmas to always talk of the one who was, who is, and who is to come. Christmas, you see, is the invitation to a three-act play. And the third act is yet to come. That's why every time at this time of year, we need to step back from the manger long enough to get the big picture, to see the fullness of the light, and to let God, therefore, change our wishes into hopes. 
Because there's plenty of room for hope in the unfulfilled promises of God in Jesus Christ. It is a light, it is a hope large enough to birth new possibilities in our lives. So I ask you, I ask you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, in this second week of Advent, what are you hoping, not wishing, what are you hoping for this Christmas? Everyone, do you notice this? Everyone thinks they can predict how things are going to get worse. You ever notice that? We are not lacking for people to tell us how much worse it's going to get. It's easy to predict the darkness. Where, beloved, are you pressing, praying into God's unfinished promises for things to get better? In a world consumed by darkness, where many people can predict how dark it's going to get, where are we calling forth the hope? The hope of Christmas. A new home. Is it possible this year? A new home. A new calling. Is it possible this year that you who believe you're done, you're finished, have a new calling, a new invitation to partner with God in building his kingdom? A new rekindled or a new relationship altogether. Is it possible that a relationship that you thought was over or you who thought you were beyond any new relationships, God is calling forth a new or rekindled relationship in your life? Or maybe a complete makeover, an extreme makeover. You who think you're done, perfected, just waiting to be taken home. Are you on the verge of an extreme makeover where God has something completely new to share and reveal not only about who he is, but who you are in him? Beloved, where are you leaving room for a new visitation of Jesus in your life? A renewed faith? A closer walk? A life-changing vision or insight? A deeper submission? Where are you leaving room for a new visitation of Jesus in your life? Is your view of the landscape of this world pregnant with possibility? Or do you look out at the world that you see? and put blinders on because it's just so pitch black. What disappointments, what hungers, what hurts of your heart do you believe are barren and beyond hope? Hear today the words of Isaiah that nobody, nobody owns Christmas. Not families, not people of faith. We don't make it happen. Nobody owns Christmas, and therefore no one is disowned by Christmas. Not the lonely, not those of doubt, not those who are alienated. We all have the darkness within us, but unto us a child is born. The light comes to us all. Hope is given to us all. The unfinished promises are for us all. That's big. And I think we can all agree, one word if we could describe Christmas is big. I think we can all agree that Christmas is big. It's not just a small religious celebration that Christians observe. It's big business. It's global. Countless world cultures right now are permeated with Christmas themes, Christmas trees, crutches, presents, parades, parties, songs, all during this time of year. The media tunes in. The media reports on it. Radio stations dedicate 24 hours to it. Special movies and books come out about it. Stores buy into it. Or at least they want us to. 
But here's the thing. As big as we try to make Christmas, beloved, it's never big enough. As big as we try to make Christmas, we never can make it big enough. All that commercial light that we project onto Christmas doesn't even compare to the light to which Isaiah points us. The true light of Christmas shows, throws a shadow on the world that changes everything. You know, I don't know if you've noticed this trend, but it, we've gotten it so big that we've actually made it small. Modern sentimentality of Christmas tells you that Christmas just all boils down to being in the heart. The Bible proclaims, Isaiah shouts, the reality of Christmas is much bigger than that. The light that Isaiah points to is about living in the hope of the dawn, the emergence of a new creation, something that's cosmic, something that shakes the very foundations of the universe, not just your heart. The creator of life enters one planet, our planet, in an endless universe. This God comes as a helpless infant. Granted, when you really think about it, when we try to conceptualize it in the church, it doesn't seem all that big. At first glance, it seems small. But if we really stop and think, wrapped in swaddling clothes, we experience no longer the fire-breathing mountaintop God encountered by Moses, but a God very much on our level. A loving father, a friend and brother, in one who shares our hopes our fears, all that we have, all that we are, all that we will ever be, this God shares. A God who understands. A God who has been there. It's the same God that Moses encountered on the mountain, to be sure, but it's a God in a different light. It's a God who is easier to identify with. And it's big. Born in a humble setting in Bethlehem, this God brings the world to the doorstep of this humble home. Through the birth of a child, the universe lights up an expectation of a sacrifice that will change billions of lives. The whole creation groans as if in the labor pains of anticipating its redemption. The surprise of this light, of this incarnation, is that it sheds on the whole landscape of our common life and world. Here is the life, beloved, that changes everything. Here is the light that redefines love, truth, and family. Here is the light that reshapes our vision of power, authority, and unity. Here is the light that changes everything. How we tell time. How we view history how we live in the present, and how we anticipate the future. This is the light that begins facing the darkness of the human heart. Yes, indeed. But through the human heart begins to transform every partial, broken, and sinful thing, not only in our heart and in our lives, but in this world. This is the light that overtakes the darkness of this whole wide world as heaven comes down to earth again. It's big. Bigger than we can ever make it. So if you're sitting here this morning and you've been singing carols, if you've been lighting candles, if you've been looking into the manger and you just still seem to be missing something, don't look within yourself to make Christmas happen. Look up and see the light that is coming into your darkness. If you're sitting here this morning and you're just about, it's all just a blue Christmas for you, 
If the annual celebration of Jesus' birth leaves you feeling as though your life, this world, is incomplete and unfinished and always will be so, don't drown out that longing within you with another shopping spree, a little more eggnog, or some wishful thinking. Take heart and receive the greatest gift that you can receive. Let Christmas get even bigger through the greatest gift that you can give to others. The hope of God expressed through the one who was, who is, and who is to come. Jesus, the hope of heaven on earth. Beloved, let us continue to pray. Let us continue to anticipate the day when it will indeed be on earth as it is in heaven. Let us not be so consumed by the Jesus we have that we deny our hunger for the Jesus we still need. Let us pray for the strength to hope for heaven, for the expectation of the coming of Jesus into our world and into our lives, because Isaiah informs the content of our hope if you're not sure what to hope for. As he proclaims, unto us a child is born, he tells us what we can hope for. He tells us what we can still expect. This son, this one who is heaven come to earth, is our mighty counselor. As he carries out the divine plan, he unveils before the nations new possibilities that are beyond our expectations of how things might be. Every possibility that he presents is summed up by a single word, the meaning of which he continues to reveal to us from both a manger and a cross. That single word that continues to speak possibility every single day of our lives is grace. He is our mighty God continually revealing himself by being born in the darkest and most forsaken places of our lives and of our world. He comes like a divine warrior fighting for each one of us. The darkness has not and will not ever conquer the light. For with him on our side, the battle is long, but the war is never in doubt. We can trust that he will work his purposes in history even when we cannot understand those purposes. Yet for all of that, all of his ferocity, he is also the son who is an everlasting father. He abounds in grace and mercy, forgiving our sin, feeding our souls, healing our bodies, changing our lives through the provision and care of a father's love. But the love of this father as Isaiah tells us, is everlasting. It will not end this love and nothing can separate us from it. This Jesus is our Prince of Peace. As he establishes his kingdom, he creates our world anew. He turns swords into plowshares. He loosens the chains. He shatters the prisons. He reconciles what's broken. He restores what's been lost. Through his spirit, he changes our hearts from violence to peace, from selfishness to love, from corruption to purity. He makes the lion to lie down with the lamb. That's the Christmas story. It's our story. Is your Christmas big enough for that? For the biggest chapters are yet to be written. Are you still wishing for something this Christmas? Or are you ready to hope in the reality of Jesus, of Jesus of heaven, come down to earth? Because that's the kind of light that shines in our dark places. That's the kind of hope on the horizon that changes the world, changes our lives, even as we wait for the dawn to come. Beloved, let us, this Advent season, 
make room for the new visitation of Christ in our lives. Amen?